Welcome to the Locked On Grizzlies podcast. My name is Sean Coleman. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we wanted to uh, take some time to talk with you today, and, and we're getting you know ramped up for the NBA bubble. And I am very happy to welcome a special guest um, from ESPN. Uh, he's an NBA writer for ESPN. He's co-host of the fabulous Pelton Cast, uh, Mr. Kevin Pelton. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing probably as well as can be reasonably expected at this point. Thanks for having me. And, I, and we appreciate you taking the time. And I think that's kind of the best answer um, everybody can uh, can give right now. Um, Kevin obviously has been writing about the NBA for years, one of the more well-known writers. Um, and he does a lot of good work, especially with the younger stars in the league. And that's what we're going uh, to focus on today. Kevin, before we get into anything, though, I'll just ask you, you know, your quick perspective. Um, a lot of news coming out about, you know, COVID-19 and things like that that's going on in Orlando. Kind of your just initial thoughts. Do you feel the season's going to you know go off as smoothly as people hoped or do, do you still think that um, it's a very real possibility that it might be a delayed or you know there possibly could even be a cancellation yeah i mean i think like a lot of people i sort of vacillate back and forth from day to day based on what's in the news and the the real concern to me right now i know a lot of people are looking at the number of nba players who have tested positive this week and you know i think that uh generally that's was to be expected because of the fact that rates of transmission are high within the community right now and you know particularly for young players that if they're out playing pickup or just in interacting with friends that puts them at a bit of risk and that's okay as long as those are caught before they get to orlando the real concern to me this week has been the number of mls cases we've seen specifically with fc dallas the cluster i think we're up to 10 positive cases after they traveled to orlando where they're also going to be at the uh the uh, espn worldwide sports complex at disney world so that's the thing that you have to prevent if you're the nba that's the what becomes a real concern to me and I know we've seen stars like DeMar DeRozan talking about, you know, we've seen them talk about just how specific these rules are, but like the FC Dallas situation shows, there's just so many different ways, some that may have not have even been exposed or thought of yet that this, you know, that COVID-19 could make, you know, an unexpected and unwanted appearance. So you, you certainly have to be prepared. But uh, let's get to uh, the reason why I, I was looking forward to speaking with you in that recent piece that you came out with uh, between you and Mike Schmitz in which y'all were talking about the top 10 um, uh, sophomores um, in, in, in terms of the NBA currently. And uh, just, you know, getting started off, when, when you put this list together and you kind of went back two years ago, when you look at that draft from 2018, in my opinion, it ranks as maybe one of the top five drafts in terms of the depth of talent over the past 25 years, even since 96, a legendary draft. Do you think the 2018 draft will continue to be one of the, you know, better drafts that we've seen, you know, kind of in this recent NBA history? I think so. I mean, you look at at the top, certainly Luka Doncic, someone who is already an all-star, is his Trey Young, someone who has been in the MVP discussion, is a second-year player. I mean, that's that's incredibly rare. So you've got that kind of star power. And then you've also got some pretty solid depth as well. I mean, I think, you know, you look at filling out this list, the entire top five is guys I think that you can expect have the chance to become all-stars at some point in the future, maybe a little beyond that. And, and then, you know, solid players up and down the top 10 where there are even guys that I think are going to be really good, valuable contributors for a long period of time who didn't crack that top 10. 
And so focusing at the top of that list, obviously, is Luka Doncic. You know, in y'all's, in you and uh, um, Mike's piece about um, the draft class, you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, Doncic, in terms of his production in the second year, it's very easy to make an argument for him being the best prospect or best second-year player since LeBron James. Um, the thing that I'll ask, though, is this, is that obviously another prospect that came out in 2019, Zion Williamson. Those probably are the two players, Doncic and Williamson, who had as much hype as LeBron did back in 2003. I guess my question is this, where do you compare, if, if Doncic is 100%, where do you, what percentage do you put on Zion in terms of making his production, making the impact that Luka has? And do you feel that Zion can, in his second year could become just as productive and just as, you know, all world of a player, I guess, for a better, like for a better term? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're looking at the ceiling of those two players, it's probably pretty similar. And that the biggest difference between them, and that's a comparison that we made back in March, we did uh, our top 25 under 25 rankings, which Mike also participates in, along with Bobby Marks as the third member of that panel. And you know, all of us had Luca number one, if I recall correctly. But I think we we pretty much all had Zion number two as well, because you know when he's been on the court, I mean, he's been in immense force in terms of what he's been able to contribute for someone who, you know, was coming in midseason after knee surgery. I mean, it's and just I, I think in some ways he's probably got more room to grow because of we see how weak he's been at the defensive end of the court so far, possibly related to his conditioning. Uh, so I think there's more room for him to grow right now than there is for Luca. But the concern with him, obviously, is just will he be able to stay healthy? He's had the track record of injuries first at Duke and and now this season that cost him, you know, the the first half of what we thought was the schedule was going to be uh, and a little bit more than that. And, uh, you know, I, there's a little bit less concern in Luca's standpoint that he can hold up physically with the grind of the NBA schedule. And the other thing that I'll ask kind of from a Grizzlies perspective, you know, the Grizzlies are are kind of, you know, they're right at the forefront of those teams impacted by Luka and uh, Zion. Obviously, division opponents in New Orleans and Dallas. Theoretically, you could see the Grizzlies being one pick off from getting Zion and Luka in the past two drafts. But the perspective I want to ask is this, is that both Luka and Zion fit that singular, just kind of all-world talent that we've seen, like, that have been in the finals, you know, like Giannis and Kawhi and LeBron. Not saying these guys are on that level yet, but that, you know, big do-it-all ball handling, which y'all said in the piece. Those guys will always seem to be there as far as a title contender. The Grizzlies, though, they have a lot of talent, but they're going about it in a different way. They're building a core. Do you feel as time goes on, the Grizzlies will kind of always be a step behind New Orleans and Dallas just because of the presence of Williamson and Dodgins? Or do you see that the Grizzlies, if they continue building this core, they could be right there with them as time goes on? Yeah, I don't think they necessarily are behind in terms of, you know, it's not just about that singular player. I mean, we've seen, you know, Kawhi in San Antonio uh, during what was his prime, that wasn't necessarily a championship team. And they were, that was, you know, in the early part of that against a Golden State team that didn't have a player that would fit into that kind of, you know, giant two way wing category. Their model was a little different. It was, you know, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. And I think you could say that Memphis aspirationally, you know, they, they don't have that third player that I think projects at this point on the level of Clay Thompson or or Draymond, depending on how you want to rank those guys two and three. But the the Steph, you know, again, they're very different players, but the Steph Draymond, you know, point guard 
uh, versatile big man combo is kind of in the same ballpark as the the jaw Jaron Jackson Jr. you know combo. So I I, I think you know it's going to depend on how those teams fill out the rosters. And the good news for you know in New Orleans, if you're looking at it from this perspective, is that they have a bunch of other young talent. They have the additional draft picks coming from the Lakers. The the Anthony Davis trade com- combined with winning, winning the lottery sent them up in a, a really advantageous position. But uh, you know that doesn't. And in Dallas, same thing with having Kristaps Sportsingas as a number two guy to go with Doncic. But just because those guys teams are in you know really great situations, doesn't mean Memphis is at all in a bad situation with uh, those two guys building blocks. Trust me, I kind of worded that in a in, in no other way but sounding <laughs> negative. But as yeah. as a Memphis fan and and in trying to cover it, I, I can tell you where we're very we feel very lucky to have what we've got. What we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to come right back with Kevin, and we're going to talk about um, the, the point guards uh, that uh, were in the 2018 draft um, and uh, get some interesting perspective from him. With the finally being summer, I'm sure many of our Locked On hosts and Locked On listeners are able to finally get outside and enjoy the nice weather, the clear skies, and the warm temperatures. Of course, one of the many projects that you can work on this summer is your car. Obviously, it's hard to find car parts for certain makes, models, or whatever it may be that you need, but I've got a place for you to go that can basically help you out no matter what your need is, and that's rockauto.com. Rock Auto has everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whatever it may be that you're needing either a classic model or a new car, Rock Auto is the place for you to go. A couple other things about it is its versatility. It's very simple to use, but it has great depth. So no matter what you need, you're likely there to find it. Also, whether you're a do-it-yourselfer or someone who does this for a living, or if you want to get a part and take it to someone to do the repairs for you, rockauto.com is the place for you to go. And the prices are great. You're not going to break the budget for you to be able to find the car parts that you need, and you get the selection and fast delivery to allow for you to get your car needs taken care of in a a quick turnaround time. The thing about car rockauto.com is it's a family-owned business. It's been serving customers for over 20 years, and so it knows how to take care of its customers. If you go to rockauto.com right now, let them know how you found out about them. Tell them about Locked On in the how-to session. rockauto.com, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Welcome back to the Locked On Grizzlies podcast. Again, very happy to be joined by NBA, um, or excuse me, ESPN NBA writer Kevin Pelton. So, Kevin, another thing, the thing that jumped out to me the most uh, was in talking about the next guy after Doncic, you would assume it would be Trey Young because of, you know, the accomplishments, the accolades, the news that he creates. But it seems like on y'all's list, there's another 18 prospect that has turned a lot of heads this year, and that would be say, Shea Julius Alexander. I go with SGA. I struggle with his name. But it seems like that the, the opinion is, is that going forward in terms of the development of these players, there's a little bit more favoritism towards SGA, especially with how he can fill out his body as a bigger guard. Your thoughts on that comparing of the futures of SGA and, and Trey? Yeah, I still went with Trey Young. I mean, I think that it's probably closer than you would think based on their production this season, or, or certainly the level of attention this season, where Gilgis Alexander is kind of a secondary player in Oklahoma City. You know, he's, he's arguably maybe their third most important guard this season behind Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder has had a really nice season for them off the bench, as opposed to Trey, who's putting up these huge stat lines in Atlanta and, and is an all-star. Uh, I, I think that, you know, Trey's got a higher, because of that, Trey probably has a higher floor than Gilgis 
Alexander, but you know, if, if Gilgis Alexander continues developing the way that we've seen him make huge steps forward from his one season at Kentucky to what he did last year with the Clippers, and then again from last as a rookie from the Clip with the Clippers to this season in Oklahoma City, where you know he's become just a, a much better all-around contributor, uh, then combine that with his frame and, and everything that you know it doesn't have the same weaknesses that Trey does defensively. I think that's where he's got the potential where you know maybe his upside is remarkably even higher than Trey's but I, I would still give Trey the nod and uh, it was it was my uh, you know partner in crime there Mike Schmitz who has been on the uh, the Shea bandwagon dating all the way back to uh, the before the draft and and continues to favor him over Trey. Gotcha. Forgive me for getting that for getting that confused. I will say though that another interesting point that y'all brought up was that you talked about the difference between a floor raiser and a, a ceiling raiser. I believe that you were talking about something that Ben Taylor ha, has referenced before, and, and it makes sense. Someone who can, you know, yeah, make stats better for players, but can they truly make them better? So I will also add Jaw to the discussion. Y'all mentioned about SGA about how he has really assumed a, a lead role on a team that has surprised this year. Well, Jaw has done the same thing. So I'll just come in and ask, when you look at a floor raiser versus a ceiling raiser and you compare Jaw to, to Trey, for instance, how do you see those two developing? And do you feel that Jaw, maybe because of his passing um, and you know what he's done for the Grizzlies this year, could he define that ceiling raiser a bit more than Young does as a floor raiser as the, at this time? I think so. I mean, so. you know, inevitably, with someone more experienced, more productive right now, you're going to have that higher floor because we're counting on Jaw to develop from where he is right now to, you know, get to become a really good NBA point guard. Now, history tells us if you're as good as he's been as a rookie and as you're, you know, uh, 20 or whatever, 21, whatever it is, that you're going to improve substantially, especially a point guard, because players at that position tend to develop later into their careers than players at a lot of other positions. So, you know, I feel good about that. And since he doesn't have that kind of glaring weakness, those physical limitations at the defensive end of the court, you know, I don't know if he's that much bigger than Trey, but, you know, just plays bigger and, and, and a little more athletic in that regard and, and probably putting in more effort at the defensive end of the court would be the other part of that equation. So all of that, I think, gives him uh, a slightly higher ceiling. The other question that I will ask is this, is that if you look at those three players, SGA, Jaw, and um, Trey, yeah, in my opinion, you could say Trey probably has the highest upside as a shooter. Jaw is a finisher. Shea is a, is a two-way player. But in terms of Jaw himself, you know, when you look at him and, and Trey's offensive comparisons, Trey's the shooter. Jaw is the finisher. When it Everybody in Memphis wants him to eventually become the superstar that he certainly has the brand and personality to become. How important is Jaws' shooting development from the mid-range, from the three-point range? How important is that to him eventually becoming you know, that superstar, all-star starter, you know, true ceiling raiser, top 15 NBA player you know, in the near future? I think it's crucial. I mean, a couple of years ago, I wrote a piece uh, about the importance of the pull-up three-pointer in the pick-and-roll game and noted that you know if you looked at basically the most productive, most efficient pick-and-roll point guards in the league – 
John Wall was basically the only one of those guys who wasn't a really, you know, capable pull-up three-point shooter that just it it makes it so much more difficult for a defense to navigate the pick and roll if you have to worry about the possibility of, you know, if you go under, that that guy just pulls up and pulls from three and knocks it down. And so that's been one of the very encouraging things about Jaws development this season is, you know, I think we thought he was probably going to be a below average shooter when he came into the league right away. And for him to hit 37% from three as a rookie, even if it's on limited volume uh, and to make some of those pull up threes and keep the defense honest, I think is a big reason that he's been more productive right away than people expected. So, you know, if he continues to develop that and becomes kind of closer to a knockdown three point shooter, you combine that with the athletic ability. I, I don't know how you stop that in the pick and roll. We're really hoping that that develops, obviously. What we're going to do is we're going to take our final break of the show, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the big man and the Grizzlies overall going forward. Thanks so much again for joining us here on the Locked on Grizzlies. We're here with uh, ESPN NBA writer Kevin Pelton. Him and Mike Schmitz uh, uh, were uh, did a great job uh, breaking down the uh, NBA sophomore class, the 2018 draft, kind of where they feel NBA players are in their sophomore season. And obviously the player on the Grizzlies who fits this class and, you know, who we have a lot of hope for is Jaron Jackson Jr. Now, I think that the, you know, if you want to call it a debate, whatever, I think the conversation in terms of after Luca, after Trey, comes down to Jaron and DeAndre Ayton. And they're two separate type of players. Ayton is more of your, you know, uh, you know, polished, you know, big man, you know, prototypical big man who's got a lot of potential, especially two-way. And then also Jaron is more of the NBA style big man today. Uh, but Jaron, I think that there's been a little bit more than expected in terms of his offensive game and his shooting. He's a little bit behind than people may have thought in terms of his defense. But when you look at Jaron going forward, I know that the size and the rebounding and the fouling, is he going to have that size to be a true five? Is that, what, is that going to be ultimately the most defining aspect of where he lands as far as being, you know, either a really good player or an all-star all-NBA type player? I'm not sure it's that in particular because there is certainly value in if he's able to defend out on the perimeter like he's been asked to do a lot playing power forward so far. You know, next to Jonas Valanciunas this season and after the All-Star break last year, Marcus Sewell before that. I mean, that that versatility gives you a lot more options in the front court. And it's more difficult to find, you know, uh, really efficient quality players at power forward right now than it is at center because of the way that floor spacing has changed and the fact that guys like Jaron are able to stretch the floor has opened things up for someone like Valanciunas as the, you know, pick and roll option with him spacing the court on the weak side. So, you know, I, I don't think it's that specifically. I do think there are some of the weaknesses that he needs to address. Uh, you know, is he going to become a stout enough defensive rebounder to hold up full time as a center? I think is is a big question in terms of defining his ceiling. And then his ability to make plays off the dribble to, uh, you know, become more of a distributor. We've seen him become comfortable driving off of hard closeouts. and But I think when he's doing that, he's generally looking to finish himself rather than set up teammates. And that's, that's I think, one of those things that is going to really distinguish is he's a very good player or a great player. Yeah, you had mentioned Carl uh, uh, Anthony Towns. I, I don't think, obviously, that Jaron is to that level. But in terms of that, you know, a three-point shooting, you know, big. Now, I, I did a little bit of research myself. I, uh, you know, Jaron played 54 games this year through 54 games. No other player had ever had, you know, as many threes and as many blocks as Jaron had. You mentioned that his ability on the perimeter ha has been eye-catching as far as his defensive potential. But down low, obviously, you know, getting bigger in terms of the rebounds, his shot-blocking ability, the rim protection, 
responsibility. Do you feel that is where it needs to be for him to ultimately become one of the better ones in the NBA? Or, or do you feel that that is just going to be kind of a, you know, it's there when it needs to be. He may never be just like one of the best rim protectors that many thought he could be when he came into the league. I mean, I definitely think that's going to be an area where he continues to improve. I mean, you you mentioned Aiton is his comparison. I, I think Jackson was ahead of Aiton last year, and Aiton really took a huge step forward as a rim protector this season. And, you know, maybe it's not surprising that, that Jackson didn't have that same step forward because it wasn't what he was asked to do a lot of the time, playing next to Jonas Valanciunas and, you know, at times, Gorgie J. And, you know, so... He, he, there hasn't been the same emphasis on that. I think he probably would develop more quickly in that regard if he was kind of thrown into the deep end and forced to protect the rim exclusively all the time. But, you know, I don't think I would rule it out down the down the line. The other thing that I'll ask about this in terms of the Grizzlies, um, you did mention D'Anthony Milton, you know, potentially as someone who could could make this list toward, towards the end of it uh, uh, with Duncan Robinson, you know, the Bridges and, 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 and players such as that. Your thoughts on D'Anthony Milton? He certainly was a fine for the Grizzlies over the summer. It seems like that he could definitely have two-way potential. I know that we're waiting on his jump shot to develop. Do you feel that that jump shot could develop to where he potentially could become a reliable, you know, a two-guard combo guard starting option? Or do you think that his career probably projects as a very valuable reserve, kind of as he's shown on the Grizzlies this season? When player I've always liked as a comp for Melton has been Marcus Smart going back to when he first popped on the scene as his freshman at USC and you know his statistical projections at that point were you know off the charts compared to what the level of hype about him was as a prospect. So you know I think that's that's kind of what I'm thinking in terms of number one is he able to grow his playmaking a little bit so you can use him as a point guard and not kind of exclusively have him playing off the ball like you know we've mostly seen whether it's you know Tyus Jones or or John. Uh, at the point, it, it's Melton has almost always been out there with one of those two guys that I, as I recall it. But uh, then the other aspect of it is becoming just you know a passable at least three point shooter. I don't think Marcus Smart's ever going to hit you know forty percent on a consistent uh, basis from beyond the arc. But you have to guard him now, and I think Melton's got the tools that that's within you know reach for him. He's not he's not uh, uh, you know Tony Allen level of shooter. Uh, to name another beloved Grizzlies role player yeah. who, came, who has ties to Boston. But, you know, 82% from the free throw line, that's it, it's less important indicator once you're in call, once you're in the NBA than it is for guys in college how well you shoot from the line. But it is an indicator, I think, of your ability to develop. So the fact that he's an above average free throw shooter, the fact that he's not a dreadful three-point shooter at, you know, 31% over the last two years, I think all that indicates it's well within the realm of possibility. And it will probably help define, you know, just how high his ceiling is going forward. And then, Kevin, I'll just ask you this general question in terms of the Grizzlies rebuild. Obviously, it's reached a level of success. You know, I don't think anybody could have predicted. We're all very excited. But the thing that I'll ask you is this. Obviously, time is going to take its natural course, and the Grizzlies are, you know, in a very good situation. But when you look at this roster and you look at the skill sets of the young players on it, they're going to develop, obviously, over the next few years. The one thing our talent that a lot of people feel in the area that could be added is a true shooter, uh, you know, a, 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 a shot creator, someone who is reliable and hopefully could be to the elite level, maybe a 3D type guy, but definitely a, a shooting presence. Do you feel it's that simple as far as what to add to the Grizzlies to make them one of the true up and coming title contenders in the league? Or is it continuing? 
as much talent as possible and kind of letting it figure itself out. Do you feel the Grizzlies do eventually need to add that type of level shooter? Um, and, and how, if they do or do not, how do you see them continuing to develop over the next few years? I mean, it's kind of funny because it feels like this is the conversation we've had about the Grizzlies for many, many years. If you could get that guy who's a knockdown shooter and also, you know, has the versatility to be, you know, a capable defender, a playmaker, like that, that was the missing piece during the the Mark and Mike era. And it's the piece that isn't on the roster yet right now, you know, in this era as well. But I, I think you're still so early in this period. I mean, we thought that this was going to be a, year, a rebuilding year for the Grizzlies. Nobody expected that they'd be in position where you could potentially be disappointed if they don't end up out of this restart with the eighth seed, which, you know, that's a, that's a great problem to have if, you know, that, that ends up being the case. Um, so I, I think they are still in that just let's get as much talent as we possibly can stage and then we can figure it out and, and try to make that trade, you know, or, or add via free agency when that time comes. I mean, Justice Winslow, it's going to be really fascinating to see if, you know, I, I think he's, as I understand it, expected to participate in Orlando. So that's going to be really one of the the players to watch here because, you know, the, the Grizzlies clearly envisioned him in a major role. I think projected him, it seems like, as they're starting small forward going forward. We didn't get a chance to see that after the trade deadline because of the injury and you know how well he develops as a shooter because he's someone who shot a high percentage at times but on a really low volume that may define how much of a need that is for the Grizzlies and then it'll also define whether you know if you do determine that he you do need that kind of player you know is is he going to be uh, a valuable trade chip is he going to be someone that you let go at the end of his contract like all those questions I think Winslow is it becomes a really important player for them going forward. And the other thing I wanted to hit on as well was their coach, Taylor Jenkins, and his staff. You're, just quickly, your thoughts on him this year? Did, or have you been surprised, encouraged about how well he's developed the team? And do you feel he could stay in place as someone who could truly take us you know, to the next level of being a playoff contender or even a title contender? I think you had to be surprised and encouraged because he was just kind of a Blake Slate coming into this. He wasn't a well-known assistant in the league, wasn't, you know, the uh, the lead assistant on the Bucks staff, which made it kind of surprising when the Grizzlies did make that hire. But, you know, they've everything that surely they saw in going through that evaluation process is what we've seen so far this season to do a nice job, you know, developing young talent, well-winning. That's a real challenge in this league. I think, you know, one of the big things he's going to have to establish that's often different difficult for coaches hired in situations like him is you get seen as okay this guy is the developmental coach he can get us to a certain point but we need someone else to get us past that and i'm not sure if that criticism is always fair uh, I think, you know, coaches, for one thing, coaches evolve over time. Uh, at this point, Jenga's experience is more in development, but as he adds experience on the sidelines, he could become a different coach. And, you know, you do hope he gets an opportunity to kind of see things through. Although, I mean, that's this is way early to be thinking about that. But you've seen that, obviously, with uh, Kenny Atkinson in Brooklyn and, and Brett Brown is still in place in Philly, but uh, constantly rumors about him there as two guys who kind of came in in similar situations. Well, Kevin, we cannot thank you um, enough uh, for, for, for being able to take the time to talk with us. Um, if I would have thought that you know, 18 months ago I'd be talking with you on a podcast about you know the Grizzlies being one of the up-and-coming best teams, I would have had to pinch myself. I wouldn't have expected that. But thank you so much for taking the time. Just to, you know, Memphis obviously is a big basketball market, always you know thirsty you know, for the opportunity to have basketball content, know where to find it. I know we can follow you at Kate Pelton on Twitter. Any other big projects or anything coming down the road here in the near future? Uh, that, that you can let us know about. 
Uh, you know, nothing specific right now. Just kind of working on prepping for this restart, and uh, and uh, you know who we can expect to. Uh, you know, kind of surprise in Orlando. I guess I don't know if you can expect a surprise that that might may, may by definition not be true. And then following any additional roster changes, I did a piece earlier this week on how the the rosters throughout the league have changed uh, since we last saw teams on the court back in March. Well, thank you so much again. His name is Kevin Pelton. You can follow him at, at K Pelton on Twitter, one of the uh, premier NBA writers in, in the nation. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Kevin. If you'll just stick with us for one second after we're done. But again, my name's Sean Coleman. You can follow us at Locked on Grizz, myself at Stats SAC. We thank you for joining us, and we will talk to you soon here on the Locked on Grizzlies podcast. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.